from all the way up the back of the cinema. It's the Cinema Crew with Village Cinemas. <laughs> Bit creepy. Dog. It looks like she needs help. A Dog's Way Home is about a dog on his way home. Oh, well, you want more? Well, that's coming up. Just try to get rid of Greta. Nobody suspects the dear old lady, but in Greta, you should. She's murderous. Hatton Gardens, Easter, no one at home. And Ocean's 80-year-olds. Michael Caine puts together a merry band of robbers in King of Thieves. Oh, hello, hello. My name is Kyron Wheatley and I've seen heaps of movies, but none of those. Luckily, Vary McIntyre and Michael Campbell hello. both have. Now, we've got a Village Cinema's Gold Class Double Pass to give away a little later on, as always. But first... There's one thing I know about the world. It's not the little things that matter. It's the tiny things. Oh, do you want a tiny piece of cheese? Yes, yes. Cheese is my life. A Dog's Way Home is definitely a family movie. The trailer pretty well shows you the entire plot, I guess, so that parents know what to expect. Which, and if you've never seen any big Hollywood dog movies before, then I'm sorry if this is a spoiler, but the big question is, does the dog die? And I think there's a website devoted to answering that very question for most movies. And perhaps we'll save it for the very end of this episode for those who really want to know. But in the meantime, what happens? This is a cute little family movie, and it's about Lucas, who saves this little abandoned puppy called Bella. But the local dog police threaten to put her down because they class her as a dangerous breed. So Bella has to be taken to a friend's house for safety for a while. But being a dog, she doesn't understand this and runs away and then gets lost in the Colorado wilderness, trying to make her way home. So when we came out of this, I had to compare it to, because obviously in this movie, you can kind of you hear the dog's thoughts and whatnot. Like it's kind of like a trope of these dog movies. I had to compare it to the other one we've talked about. It's like what dogs want. What dogs want. <laughs> <laughs> and the only other one we've talked about on this show is, it was called Show Dogs a little while ago. Yeah. Man, this is miles better. <laughs> I was yes. a little concerned when I saw the trailer. I'm like, oh, last time we saw a talking dog movie, it was a bit of a pain. Whereas this one is just wholesome, almost sickly sweet in a way. Mm, it's very. just so like family friendly and approachable, but not dumb in the way that Show Dogs was. When I watched it, I was thinking, oh, this is like a dog's purpose. Lo and behold, yeah, it's the same, same author. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's also a sequel to that one coming out called A Dog's Journey. But this one, A Dog's Way Home, isn't connected to those other two, even though they all sound very similar and by the same author. I understand that people sometimes get confused between like the Marvel and the DC cinematic universes, <laughs> yes. but it's weird that we live in it's a time yeah. in <laughs> which people can be confused about which talking dog cinematic universe. Am I going to understand it? Like, you know, do I have to see the first? Am I going to get the characters? I don't know. Over the years, we did everything together. <laughs> Girl. We chased squirrels. <laughs> We even played a game called Doctor. Uh, doctor! <laughs> doctor Gan. Hey, Doctor Gan. Everything all right? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if you found this as well, Vi. I think kids' films kind of live on like a spectrum of like just for kids and for kids and adults and they'll both enjoy it. This one definitely leans more towards just for kids. There's not as much in it for adults, I would say. Okay. Well, then I won't admit that I cried in it. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> It is manipulative in that way as well. Yeah, there's some really wholesome relationships. Yeah, not great CGI, um, but there is this uh, like wildcat thing that mm. the dog adopts because its mother was killed by hunters, and they have this cute little friendship. And then they're parted, and it was really sad. And okay, it's 
for kids, but also there are moments of universal emotion yeah, that yeah. other people are going to enjoy as well. It's not entirely boring for an adult. And I think it reminded me of Homeward Bound, one of my childhood films. Yes. So I think that comparison will perhaps make it easier to enjoy. I would say that the animals in this are more fleshed out as characters than the humans in this. So there's Lucas, who is the owner of the dog, that the dog is trying to get home to. But he is kind of like the perfect guy. There's like no faults to him. He He's a doctor. He rescues dogs. His mum's a veteran and he looks after her. He's like the him. perfect human. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so like in that way, all the human characters are kind of painted with a pretty broad brush. But Bella, who's voiced by... Bryce Dallas Howard. Bryce Dallas Howard, yeah. Ron Howard's daughter from Jurassic World. She has a very like sweet, bubbly personality to mm. her. And it's actually weirdly like relatable and nice. What I liked about that and how they did the voice was that it's just all in their thoughts rather than the, you know, the Cats and Dogs movie. Yeah. Years ago, they tried to make their lips move. It just looks really <laughs> un... It, yeah, sorry. It's it just looks really weird, yeah. yeah. And this one, they just have like a voiceover. Much more realistic. No, I don't want to brag, but I met this dog. <gasps> what? Yeah. yeah. When? This dog is part of the Universal Studios dog show and oh. I got to pat Bella. Oh, my so, God. I heard she's an actual <laughs> rescue herself. Yeah. I, am always I suspect am- there's like 10 Bellas. No, there was just the one. Like, isn't there like oh, yeah. 10 Lassies when they shot Lassie? And there was a Usually. bunch of Milo and Otis, as I know that yeah. much. <laughs> well, that's a different reason. Yeah. It is one dog. And what I always find fascinating and what I saw when I met the dog as well is just these dogs are so trained to be like performers. It's really kind of unusual and even though some of the animals are not so convincingly CGI'd in for reasons like, you know, you can't train a mountain lion to do things like like that. <laughs> I do like that for the most part they actually did it practically with real animals and just training them in this way. Yeah, and she's a method actor, you know, playing an abandoned <laughs> dog herself. <Yeah>. Set <laughs> so must have been a nightmare. <laughs> Other than Bryce Dallas Howard, is there anyone in this or involved in this that we should be? Is it Ashley Judd that's her mum? Yeah, from the Divergent series. Yeah, in like 90s thrillers, I feel like Ashley Judd, that was her mm. vibe. But yeah, so she plays the mother of Lucas. It's very American. There's even a subplot in which all the dogs help all these returning vets from the war feel better and Bala is part of that. Like it's very cheesy and it's very sickly sweet. But that being said, it's not super patronizing in a way that makes you feel dumb either. Like sometimes... I don't believe you. (laughs) (laughs) Like Transformers, for example, Mm -hmm. is super patronizing to like, you know, like America's the best, I'm going to punch in the face until you agree kind of a mentality. It's showing the, you know, the the lovability of dogs, but it's doing it in a very American, very America first kind of way. So who should see this film? Young kids are going to enjoy it. Probably eight and up maybe because there are a couple of scenes that might be a bit too scary for like little, like three, four-year-olds. Or if you just love dog movies like me. (laughs) Yeah, I think the age range is almost a little bit limited because from about 14 onwards, you might be a little bit too old. But if you've got a kid around about that age range, between Mm -hmm. 8 and like 14, perfect. I guess she's been finding bags around the city. I was hoping someone brings them back to her. And you did. Oh my God, it's her. Just let it ring. I saw the bags, Greta. And I never want to see you again. She's really freaking me out. Why are you doing this? How exciting. Hi, I'm Frances, and I'll be your waitress for the evening. No, I can't do this. Ray Wright is a writer of horror come thriller. He's had a few bigger movies, one Pulse, 
starring Kristen Bell of Frozen in a very different role. But his new movie, Greta, seems to be his biggest yet, with Focus Features picking it up at the Toronto Film Festival and distributing it right around the world. Big release, and I think perhaps it's because with this movie, he's written a truly captivating story, or at least that's what it looks like from the trailer, am I right? Yeah, so this is a very twisty, turny kind of a tale, and for those who haven't seen the trailer, it's about a young girl that finds a purse on a train, she looks at the identification and it belongs to an elderly lady called Greta, and when she returns the purse, they kind of strike up a friendship, and the more she gets to know Greta, something's not right, and Greta is becoming a little bit obsessed with her and it starts getting very dark and very weird and super interesting and in the way that this relationship just kind of like morphs into something else entirely. I had the feeling that it only got started halfway through and then could have ended sooner. And we had an argument about yes, this, Cambo. we did. Ten-minute movie. <laughs> about- <laughs> it's a short film. Should this have been a short movie? Well... I had the feeling that there was a several endings. Do you ever get that sensation oh, yeah. when a movie just sort of ends and you're about to clap and then, oh, no, it keeps going? You shouldn't clap, by the way, yeah. in cinemas. <laughs> Don't clap. But, you know. They're not like there. It. The movie makers aren't there. Oh, that's no why one's everyone's there angry to at the me. applause. <laughs> you really shouldn't do that. And I'm like, oh, that would have been a great place to end. I would have made the decision to end it there. And I didn't like that it continued and more explained it. I like when things are open-ended and mm. kind of on a cliffhanger. But Cambo disagreed. Also, I think what we slightly disagreed on is I think, because this movie is pretty trashy, and I think it's quite intentionally trashy, uh, but you were saying that you thought it was more kind of earnest trying to be mm. like a thriller. Because this is Neil Jordan, and Neil Jordan is a, is a pretty good filmmaker. He made you know Interview with a Vampire and The Crying Game. He knows his way around a movie. And especially in like the late 80s and the early 90s, there was that kind of subgenre of relationship that starts out nice and then one of them turns into like a stalker. There's like single white female, fear, fatal attraction. And it seemed like that kind of a movie in like 2019 to me. And mm. it knew that it was that 90s soap opery kind of a thriller. You kind of read it more straight, right? Yeah, like it does present as like a B-grade horror film, but having the two main actors, we've got Chloe Grace Moritz and Isabel Huppert, and they're really good actors and their relationship was really great and naturalistic. So I got the sensation from their acting abilities that it was trying to be a better film than a B-grade. My reading of Neil Jordan is he's the kind of guy that's like, trash should be art and and things. That, so mm. he, he's taking this genre that maybe he loved and he's trying to elevate it. And whether or not that works, I guess, is debatable. But I thought that this was, it's going to sound weird because it's quite a dark movie, a lot of fun <laughs> because it's so... It just goes for it. And uh, Greta becomes a real menacing, like, force towards the end of this movie, almost unrealistically so. Yeah. To the point where it's almost like a woman possessed. That's where it got fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so it starts with what you, you assume is kind of a normal movie and more of a regular Neil Jordan movie. And then by the end is almost a different movie in the same way that from the 90s, from Dusk Till Dawn, started off as a heist movie and ended as a wacky vampire movie. This kind of starts off as a... Slight psychological thriller and ends with like a captive horror movie. And I felt it was intentional. Are you a child? No, you're the child. You need a mother to hold it. Don't you dare talk to me about my mother. She had to die for us to meet. Are you out of your mind? Look at her. She's full of grinning. She's gone. What I really liked in this movie that I think it did almost better than anything I've seen recently is showing you what living with a stalker is like. Mm. So there's a lot of scenes where Chloe Grace Moretz, even just getting off an elevator, takes her a couple of times before the doors open, before she's even willing to 
step out into the hallway because someone might be there or she opens her apartment and she, she has to turn on the lights and check around. And getting into that mindset, I haven't seen represented that well in a long time at least. And I think that it does elevate sometimes in moments like that which is actually really well crafted. Mm. And then there's that balance of being super trashy and it doesn't always work, but I think for the most part it lands. I think that point of difference as well is that those sorts of movies you've been talking about, like a romantic relationship usually between a man and a woman and this being a friendship between an older and a younger woman was different. Yes. I was going to say that about this movie is that it looks like, you know, sometimes we talk about the Bechdel test where the Mm. two female characters talk to each other about Mm. anything other than a man. And it seems like this entire film is... Passing that with flying colours. Yeah, they're the two main characters. There is also Chloe Grace Moretz's character has a housemate okay, called... Can I talk about her? Yeah, Erica. She's <laughs> yeah. great. I hated her. I hated her so much. <laughs> so it's Micah Monroe. She was in the movie It Follows from a few years ago. The, and the kind of low. Yeah, I didn't see that. But like that. Yeah, she yeah. does a kind of like teen based, you know, like, like young adult mm-hmm. novels and, and teen horror and stuff like that. I did like it towards the end, I will admit. Her character grew on me. It felt like almost like a Mean Girls parody where she was just such an unlikable human being. Yeah, so if you're going for trashy, that's exactly the trash (laughs) that was in it. She starts out as this typical cliched millennial, ends up kicking ass and she's great. I'd love to see a movie just about her. (laughs) But that's what I meant about like the movie didn't feel like it was taking itself seriously, especially with this character. And I get that it's intentional, but she did infuriate me a lot. And I am glad that by the end of the movie – I actually grew to like her and that they were able to do that I think says a lot. But, my God, for the first half of this movie, every time she was on (laughs) screen. How horror does it get at the end? You've alluded to that it turns quite horror. Is it really horrific or is it still just the thrill? It's not the conjuring. It's not going to get too gross. or There's nothing supernatural. No, nothing supernatural. It's kind of. But there's some scares. It was almost like claustrophobic. It makes you kind of tense, like who's going to be around the corner. It's that kind of like not in the stomach kind Classics of tension. Sort of show someone with a knife and then don't show them with a knife. Where's the person with the knife? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And the whole time you're waiting for the knife to reappear. And it is a lot of the psychological thrill as well. Yeah, there's no ghouls. There's no ghosts. And there's very, actually, there's a little bit of gore, but nothing too serious in it. It's not going to completely gross you out. No. So who should see this film? If you enjoy being tense and you like those psychological thrills, almost like Get Out, I would say, in that way that mm. it's not a traditional horror movie, kind of messes with your head and you don't know what's going to happen, that lives in this kind of camp. Yeah, it kind of reminded me just slightly of Suspiria, which Chloe Grace Moritz was in. Not so esoteric yeah. at all, <laughs> but this weird, there's some undercurrent of it and you're like, got to work out what's happening. Also in cinemas this week, Stan and Ollie. The true story of Lauren Hardy's tour of the UK. And a bunch of the Oscar winners are still hanging around. Bohemian Rhapsody, A Star Is Born is still playing, so catch them before they run out. Yeah, heaps of movies. Go see them. You can hear about all of those by clicking on previous episodes in whatever podcast app that you're in right now. Police have said this is the biggest robbery in UK history. Everyone thinks you've lost your nerve. Well, I don't want to get caught again. I am not stupid. Unless they're complete idiots, the jewels must have already left the country. Those dingbats, they've mucked us all up. In April 2015, on a bank holiday, this really happened. An old crim gathered together a group of old men and had them break into a safety deposit box bank and steal about £26 million. Which segues perfectly into film that gathers together a group of older actors who have all played crims in their careers and have them act out this one last heist in King of Thieves. I mean, I don't really need to go into the synopsis because that's pretty much it. (laughs) What we know, though, is 
the ending of it. They get caught. It's no spoilers. This is a true story. It happened. Mm -hmm. But what the narrative shows you is how they managed to get themselves caught after just a few days, which is a ridiculous premise because they're supposed to be at the top of their game. They've been um, avoiding the law for 60 years and – they're so greedy and distrustful of each other that they just end up botching the whole thing and get caught in like five days. I found this kind of interesting. So this, I know this is something that you don't like is like glorifying people that do horrible things and, and whatnot. Yeah, uh, old white men getting away with things. Exactly. Yeah. And what really surprised me about this movie, and the, I think the trailer paints it almost in an incorrect way, is they really don't make an effort to make these guys particularly likable. Oh, they're all awful. I was expecting it to be a bit of cheeky old men, oh, what are they like stealing yeah. a bunch of diamonds and whatnot. These are criminals. And I actually, I appreciated that they were like, these are not nice people. These are the kind of people that would rob a jewelry district of London. And I think you need to go in with that expectation because it actually surprised me. This movie is pretty dark at times as well. Mm. Even Michael Caine, who is the lovable uncle character, Mm. is horrible. I didn't like him at all. (laughs) And that's not to say they're hard to watch. It's actually like watching them interact with each other is really interesting. Well, the cast list is huge, these mm. actors that are interacting with each other. You've got Michael Caine, yes, Jim uh, Broadbent. You've got Ray Winston. You've got uh, Michael Gambon, who yeah. looks very different from his Dumbledore days. <laughs> <laughs> Tom Courtney, who was last in the Guernsey Literary and Potato Peel Society. What a name. Yeah. <laughs> and Paul Whitehouse from Ghost Stories, which we reviewed a little while ago. Yes. And also Charlie Cox, who yes. is Daredevil. Daredevil. He is the mysterious figure. He wasn't a part of this criminal organization that organized this. He was kind of the outsider and he is kind of the audience surrogate, I guess, in a lot of ways. They explain things. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) He explain explain things to Charlie Cox about what they're doing. Thus, we understand what they're doing kind of thing. So I understand why he is in there. Do they play on these trucks? Because all these actors have been in big criminal movies, Mm. you know, Italian job Mm. and Ray Winston obviously plays a criminal and everything. Criminal and everything. <laughs> um, so do they get to play with that a bit? Two cool points about that. The first one is Ray Winston actually went to school with the real Danny Jones and he plays Danny Jones in this film. Oh. Second point is that they have opening credits at the beginning of the film and they use some clips from the original 1968 Italian job. So we get some retro shots of Michael oh. Caine. Yeah, similar to in The Old Man and the Gun that we talked about a little mm. while ago. Because they wanted to show Robert Redford in his younger days as a criminal, they used footage from his older movies in which he played a criminal. They do the same thing. So Michael Caine in The Italian Job, they've got old footage of Ray Winston, they've got old footage of pretty much all the cast members because they all have played criminals. Mm. So the opening montage is kind of a montage of old movies in which they've played criminals to kind of set up, these guys have always been this way. Yeah. So as themselves or as as actors or as like to other, is it sort of tongue in the cheek like it, we know what we're doing here? I think it's trying to imply yeah. that these are the characters when they were young, but it's also a yeah. bit of a wink and a nod to the audience to be like these guys have always been yeah. this roguish kind of a person. Yeah, if there was an Academy Award for casting, it would go to our casting director. Yeah. That's basically <laughs> what they're saying. I have made more money out of gold than all the great train robbers put together. You still thinking about a lovely vault that if i can round up the right people what kind of people oh son how's your new hit going ken 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 what We've had a lot of heist movies this year, last year as well. I love them. They're they're one of my favourite genre. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Vari disagrees. (laughs) I just love seeing how they do it. Yeah, sure. (laughs) So we had American Animals. We've got The Mule that's still going at the moment. Old Man and the Gun we mentioned. And 
what I like is that they all have a different angle, I guess, and this film isn't so much about the heist itself but the character relationships after the heist. Mm. So the majority of the film is afterwards and how those relationships are falling apart. I was surprised at how early on in the movie the heist is. Yeah. And it's, yeah, you're right. Like a heist isn't necessarily the focal point. Because an Ocean's movie, for example, it ends the second the heist is over. Whereas this is like, yeah, you've done a heist, Mm. the heat is on. What You've done ha- a heist. You've done a heist. <laughs> now what? I know the lingo. I watch heist movies. <laughs> I've gone done a heist. <laughs> it's like the aftermath of that and how people kind of start folding in on themselves and each other after a heist, which I haven't really seen before. So is the good chops in the filmmakers as well? Who directed this? Who wrote this? Director was James Marsh, who did The Theory of Everything. Mm. He actually used to also be a documentarian as well. So he directed the documentary Man on a Wire about the guy that walked across the Twin Towers. So it's interesting that he's chosen a true story, which would also make a fascinating documentary. Yeah, He's obviously fascinated by like what makes people do these weird things like that and I find that even American Animals, which we mentioned before, was made by mm-hmm. a documentarian. There's like a certain thing that documentarians, when they make feature films, they make it about what is essentially a really interesting true story that you don't know, which is always like great documentary material, but obviously they're trying something else. So who should see this film? Look, for me, the whole movie felt a little undercooked. It had a great premise and interesting enough characters because they were different and unique to other heist movies that you've seen. But if you do like a heist movie, it ticks all the boxes. It is a little bit of a mess that way. Tonally, it shifts kind of up and down and not always, it doesn't always land in those tone shifts. Sometimes it tries to be a little bit like, there's a movie with Michael Caine a few years ago called Going in Style, which was a similar premise. And it tries to be kind of fun like that. And then it'll take a really dark turn and kind of turn into like a Guy Ritchie film. And that doesn't always really work. But there is a really interesting story right in the middle of it. Your chance to win a Village Cinema's Gold Class Double Pass. Go to Facebook or Instagram, leave a comment on the Cinema Crew post answering the question, what animal do you want to see have their own adventure in a movie? Yeah, we get dogs too often. (laughs) I think outside the box, Hollywood. Answer that question with the hashtag The Cinema Crew and you could win. Next week, Marvel is back with their, am I right about this, first movie set in the 1990s? I believe so. It's Captain Marvel. We'll talk about that next week. Also, Javier Bardem and Penelope Cruz are not speaking English in their new movie. They're in Spanish, for everybody knows. Anyway, that's next week. Until then, thanks, Cambo. Thank you. Thanks, Vari. Thanks. I'm Kyron Whitley, and we'll see you at the very least. You'll hear us next week on The Cinema Crew with Village Cinemas.